Getting sober requires a lot more than mind over matter, a lot more than willpower. It's about leveraging the support around you. People in recovery typically need a mix of medical help, emotional support, and changes in lifestyle to manage their addiction, not just mental determination. As both a therapist and someone embracing the recovery lifestyle, there's one tool I always recommend to people needing extra accountability, Soberlink. Soberlink is a high-tech breath analyzer system designed to help you get and stay sober. And here's why I love it. You'll test the same day every day, eliminating testing anxiety. Friends and family receive instant test results, helping you rebuild trust and preventing relapse. Accountability is a part of that, and it's something to really be embraced. Devices have built-in facial recognition, so your support circle knows you're testing, and tamper-resistant sensors flag any attempts at trying to beat the system, so your sobriety is never questioned. So let 2024 be your best year yet. Visit Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M to sign up and receive $50 off your device. That's Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M. And let accountability be your guide. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than hey, well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the next episode of the Addicted Mind podcast. My name is Dwayne Osterlin. I'm your host, and our guest today is Jackie Franks. She is the executive director of the Indiana Alliance on Prenatal Substance Exposure. Jackie is originally an Illinois native, has a master's in public health, and almost a decade of experience in the field of health education, promotion, and community engagement. Jackie became involved with the Indiana Alliance because she has always been passionate about seeing a need in her community and filling it. By educating people and informing them, and you'll hear this several times mentioned in the podcast, that there is no safe amount of alcohol during pregnancy. We can prevent FASD, which is fetal alcohol syndrome disorder, and so many of the lifelong effects, including substance use, poor mental health outcomes, and incarceration that can be associated with it. And Jackie's going to talk about their recent launch with the San Diego University of Brain, the first of its kind online FASD screening tool that assesses cognitive and behavioral features associated with FASD. So we're going to be talking about the importance of prevention and raising awareness about this issue. But before we start, if you are enjoying the Addicted Mind podcast, please rate and review us in iTunes. I really do appreciate it. And the reviews mean a lot to me. It's nice to know that the addicted mind is having a positive impact on so many people. So thank you all for taking the time to do that. And join our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook and type in the Addicted Mind podcast, click join and continue the conversation online. All right, stay tuned for this episode. All right, everyone, welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. My guest today is Jackie Franks. She is the executive director 
of the Indiana Alliance on Prenatal Substance Exposure. So we're going to be talking about fetal alcohol syndrome, fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, the importance of looking at this issue and hopefully preventing this in the future. So let's just jump in, Jackie. Tell me a little bit about you and this work that you're doing. And there's some really exciting stuff that you guys are doing as well. Some research too that I wanted to get into as well. But introduce yourself. My name is Jackie Franks. I am the executive director, like you said, of Indiana Alliance on Prenatal Substance Exposure. I have been here for a grand total of six months. So I really hit the ground running, jumped in the deep end, I guess you can say. Wow. Yeah, it's been it's been quite an adventure. So our organization is funded by Indiana's Division of Mental Health and Addiction. And so our focus is on prevention of prenatal substance exposure. I'm sure we'll get into all the nitty gritty details in a little bit about the data and the statistics and right, and right. what we see in Indiana. But that really is the key of of preventing pregnant people specifically consuming alcohol, but all substances so that so that those babies are healthy and go on to lead healthy lives to set them up for the the best success that we can. You asked why this work is important to me, and I would have to say I have worked with a lot of individuals uh, throughout my career that were not diagnosed or not properly diagnosed or were misdiagnosed and not fully understanding, I guess, the intricacies of a fetal alcohol spectrum disorder and how that can affect a person's brain, how that affects their development and their cognitive abilities that can be very frustrating for someone. So in addition to the prevention aspect, we also create a lot of awareness and help families really get connected to the resources that they need to get a diagnosis if that's something they're looking for, or just to better understand how an individual with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder can just function in day-to-day life. Right. So it's not just the prevention piece, but also if people have been impacted and they're living their life and they don't realize maybe they're impacted by this, you know, alcohol is everywhere. And I think at certain times in our history, it was like, yeah, you should have a glass of wine if you're, you're pregnant and you're, you know, you're not feeling well. Yeah, sure. Do that. But we realize now that's just don't do that. So let's. That's like a cultural norm. That's definitely a barrier to the work we do because back you know, I'm thinking when when my mom was pregnant with me, like drinking when pregnant was accepted, or doctors would say you can have a certain amount of drinks. And I just, you know, just to be clear for everybody right off the bat, if you learn nothing else today, please remember this: there's no amount or type of alcohol that is safe to consume during pregnancy. Just absolutely not. And the research is really, really clear on that. Yes. So let's jump in and talk about bringing this awareness and and some of the statistics around this issue and why this is so important to have an organization that's dedicated just to this. Yeah. So one in seven pregnant people report consuming alcohol during pregnancy. One in seven. That's pretty high, right? So one in seven of those babies is exposed in the womb, essentially. The follow-up, the data we have after that is not as good because the diagnoses are hard to obtain. Specifically in Indiana, we don't have a lot of facilities that diagnose for FASD. 
So it goes largely undiagnosed or misdiagnosed. So a lot of times FASD will be diagnosed as ADHD. Some of the symptoms are very similar. We just had a press release running uh, Connecting the Dots video. It's available on our YouTube page talking about how FASD can be misconstrued into other conditions. Wow. I did not know that. I, w- I would assume that, you know, ADHD would be the result of this, but you're actually saying they're, we're seeing they're actually different and they're, they're separate and they can get misdiagnosed. Yes. Yeah, very commonly. And I actually had a friend who told me her son was recently diagnosed. And I know this is, I just talked about this in a training I did with providers I know this is a difficult conversation to have with somebody, but from my, you know, my mind, from the kind of FASD perspective, you know, her son was recently diagnosed with ADHD, and I, I asked a difficult personal question and said, you know, I know this is a personal question, but did you ever consume alcohol when you were pregnant, even before you knew you're pregnant? Right. 45% of pregnancies in the U.S. are unplanned, right? So a lot of these women are not realizing that they even could be pregnant and maybe still drinking. And so that is um, where some of the cases of FASD come from as well. And she said, well, you know, my pregnancy was unplanned. I was in college and, you know, yeah, I had some drinks before I, I knew I was pregnant. And I just planted the seed and said, this is something to consider. If, if the ADHD treatment is not helping or you feel like it's missing something, consider talking to the doctor about fetal alcohol spectrum disorders because they can, they can co-occur, but they can also be misdiagnosed. Okay, so let's jump in and talk about what is fetal alcohol spectrum disorders? What do we see? What do they look like? How do we know that? So FASD is an umbrella term that kind of goes over multiple different disorders, okay? So the most probably commonly heard FASD is FAS, fetal alcohol syndrome. So that is, I guess, the most popular one that people hear of, but it is the least prevalent. Right. So with fetal alcohol syndrome, Part of the way that that is diagnosed is specifically by looking at, they call them phenotypes, but for the, the non-science you know, brain people, facial features. So there are some key facial features that are used in diagnosing that, along with evidence of prenatal alcohol exposure and evidence of central nervous system abnormalities. So looking at the structure and the function of the brain to see how that's working. So with the facial features, the prenatal alcohol exposure, and the central nervous system, um, that is how they will make a fetal alcohol syndrome diagnosis. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. So they'll be able to, to look at that and, and be able to see that. And then from there, be able to make that diagnosis. What are exactly. some of the factors that increase the risk of fetal alcohol spectrum disorders? Factors that increase the risk. 
So the amount of alcohol that is being used by the pregnant person, and it depends on when that alcohol is being used also. So for example, with fetal alcohol syndrome, the least prevalent of all the FASDs, those facial features only show up between day 19 and 21 of gestation. So okay. if, that, if that pregnant person is not consuming alcohol from day 19 to 21, that baby may not have the facial features for an FAS diagnosis. And so there's like, in the FASD world, people get very upset about facial features because it's such a small window and a lot of providers will just write it off that, that that child doesn't have the facial features, so they're not even going to, you know, consider any other FASDs. So day 19 to 21 for those facial features, but the brain is still developing, we know, throughout the entire pregnancy. So the brain can still be affected in different ways, depending on when that alcohol is consumed during the pregnancy, that baby just may not have those facial features exhibited. Other risk factors, so general health of the mother, nutrition, social determinants in prevention. We talk a lot about social determinants of health. So, you know, the community they live in, the support system they have, their financial situation, do they have health insurance? Also, right, previous right. diagnosis of an FASD. Right. Okay. Okay. So we can see that this can be diagnosed and then... Once it's diagnosed, what do we do? What what happens? What does a what does a person do? So early intervention is key. So the CDC does have some programs that they recommend that they have on their website that uh, I can share the resources with you too. But it there's no cure. So there's no like magic medication or magic pill. There are interventions that we can direct uh, individuals to that will help, but it's not curable, it's treatable and manageable, I will say. So some of the common things after a diagnosis would be um, like cognitive behavioral therapy, looking at like the strength that that individual has and focusing on those. There's some new research coming out of Canada that's specifically about the strengths of an individual with an FASD. But the earlier that that FASD is identified for that individual, the better, because the sooner we can get them into some of those interventional programs, the higher the likelihood they will have less challenges in the future. So one statistic I commonly bring up uh, when I do trainings for Indiana, individuals with FASD are more likely to have contact with law enforcement. 60% of individuals with FASD will come in contact with law enforcement at some point during their life, and 35% will be incarcerated. Wow, that is a lot. Yeah, and so some of that is related to some of the FASD symptoms, so like impulsivity, right? The inability to like critically think about consequences of your actions, Okay. And so the average child with FASD begins their contact with law enforcement between age 12 and 13. So, you know, when think back to when you were 12, you know, did you yeah. have a good concept of even what was right and wrong? And then add neurodiverse brain on top of that, where you are not able to determine what the consequences of your actions are going to be. 
that is why it's more common to see individuals with FASD in the criminal justice system in some capacity. Right. Yeah. If if you have a hard time with impulse control, making decisions, or other disabilities, not only is it going to add frustration to your life as as a young person. Maybe you're in school and it's harder to, you know, stay in tune with what what's going on and and all of that stuff. And then this is undiagnosed and you're not getting any support. It's going to be really hard. And I can see why it's so important to be able to see this early on and educate people about this as, as a possibility so these younger kids can, can get the resources around them to help them with these issues. Maybe give them the skills or the, or the cognitive skills to be able to work with their impulsivity, understand right. themselves, have, have a reason for what's going on. Right. And and helping them focus on their strengths. There's one of our families in Indiana uh, shared something with us that we posted on our social media. This kid with FASD got a Lego set for Christmas. One of those Star Wars, like spaceships, like yeah. million piece, like box sets. And he put it together in a very small amount of time. Like if I would have got that for Christmas, it's what, three weeks later, I'd probably still be working on it if not right. not even have opened the box yet right so for him to put that together in a matter of hours was very significant and so that's something that's a strength of his so how can we harness that into future career opportunities or how can we maybe adapt how we're teaching some of these kids with FASD to help them learn the material more if he's really good with hands-on activities you know, how can that be incorporated into his learning environment so that he's absorbing more of that material versus, you know, sitting and staring at a screen or listening to a teacher talk and you're kind of like zoning out because, you know, right. paying attention is one of the, the symptoms of FASD. How can we incorporate more, more of those strengths into kind of the care for that child so that we set them up to be more successful in the future? Yeah, really understanding that neurodiversity and being able to see that everybody's brain is is different. We learn in different ways. We have different strengths, weaknesses, and being able to adapt to those needs, but being able to see it and understand it and, and being able to know what's what's going on. Let's talk a little bit about getting the support to the moms who may be struggling with an addiction or struggling with alcohol. How, how do we support them or how do you guys support them? Yeah, so most of the uh, children born with FASDs are, are actually not the result of addiction. So there is, while that can occur, that regular drinking on a day-to-day -day basis, that can cause an FASD. FASD can also be caused by one drink during pregnancy. So there's, that's why we have to say there's no amount of alcohol that's safe, because even, a, even one glass of white wine right, can cause birth defects in that child. But in Indiana, we have a lot of resources available. We are a subsidiary of Mental Health America of Indiana, or MHAI. So through MHAI, we can help refer those individuals to different addiction services or treatments, if that's something that they are willing to pursue. We do have the connections there. But creating awareness, because a lot of people don't consider that one drink can cause a birth defect. That's, that prevention aspect is kind of our main wheelhouse right now. 
And we did a needs assessment in the fall in Indiana, and this is not representative of any national data, but a lot of physicians were not telling the women not to drink. Wow. You would think that would be like the first thing that kind of goes out the door is like, hey, don't do this. You know, if you're pregnant, stop drinking, don't drink. If you're planning on being pregnant, don't drink. Right. 72% of the women we surveyed said a physician did not tell them that it was not safe to drink while pregnant. And 16% of the people surveyed actually said that the physician told them drinking alcohol was safe during pregnancy. Wow. Well, that that's kind of actually shocking because the research is so clear that this is a no go. And even even either, you know, now looking at alcohol in general as like it's just something that you don't do, it's just bad for you. No amount of alcohol is is good for you. Right. Yeah. Particularly if it is even a minute possibility of of becoming pregnant avoid it altogether. Since so many pregnancies are unplanned across the country, that's where a lot of this exposure is occurring is before these women even knew that they were pregnant. And like I said before, those facial features are happening from day 19 to 21. A lot of people don't even know they're pregnant by day 21 of a pregnancy. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, that's kind of, uh, you know, in a way, overwhelming to, to think about. I mean, it's just like this information really needs to get out there. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like I'm trying to stop like a an avalanche <laughs> happening sometimes because it's so, there's so many misconceptions. Even back, like thinking about generations, you know, it, it used to be like really widely accepted. Like, for example, when my mother was pregnant with me, like it was just, yeah, it was okay to have a glass of wine every once in a while, you know, like relax when you get home. And there's still family members out there that are telling these pregnant people that consuming alcohol is safe. So 31% from our survey said a family member told them it was safe to drink when pregnant. And so something else that's disturbing to me a little bit is we did the same survey back in 2006. And all of these rates have increased since then. Wow, that's surprising. Yeah. And so we know that, you know, alcohol consumption increased significantly during the pandemic. And so I'm wondering if that has maybe, you know, changed people's perspectives on the the safety or dangers of, you know, consuming alcohol, particularly during pregnancy. Yeah, that may. Yeah, that may be. What about for the child that's been exposed to alcohol? during pregnancy, what's the risk to future addiction issues? I'm glad you asked that question because there is a strong link between FASD and future addiction. There's some research that comes from the Canada FASD Research Network, and they talk a lot about how it's more common for individuals with FASD to use substances. And so part of that is going to be because if an individual is having some of these struggles, as someone does with an FASD, they could be self-medicating with the substance, you know, whatever substance they choose to use, whether that's alcohol or drugs. But 
that Canada study found that 38% of people with FASD were misusing alcohol and 46% were misusing other substances. Wow. So there's, there's some link there to early exposure to alcohol that leads to maybe, who knows, we, I don't know if the research is out there yet about that, but some link in the brain that makes someone more susceptible to addiction in the long run in their adult life. Right. Right. And especially if they're facing frustrations in their own childhood around impulse control or learning issues and, and stuff like that, that probably even compounds on that as well. Yeah. And the generational aspect as well. I've worked a lot mentoring individuals with substance use disorder in my community and thinking about there's one individual that comes to my mind who's, you know, both his parents were alcoholics. Um, I met him when he was incarcerated. He is an alcoholic. All of his troubles in his, you know, life have been related to alcohol or drugs in some capacity, was never diagnosed with FASD, but probably could get a diagnosis if he pursued one. And just thinking like, if you had known this sooner, if you had gotten the diagnosis sooner, how could that have changed? you know, the outlook or the outcome of your life, getting that treatment or that early intervention and not ending up in jail or prison, like, you know, multiple other generations of his family. So that's an aspect there as well to consider. Yeah, definitely. Well, that kind of brings us to that next topic I want to talk to you about, which is what you've launched recently, Brain. And the first of its kind online FASD screening tool that assesses cognitive and behavioral features associated with FASD. That's pretty exciting. I was checking. I haven't done the test myself, which I, I want to do, but I was seeing that you guys just launched that. And can you talk more about that? Because that's pretty cool. Yeah, it is very, very exciting. We are the first affiliate in the country to be able to have that screening tool accessible online. And so we have been getting people from, you don't have to live in Indiana to take that screener. Anywhere around the country, you can go to our website and access that screening tool. So the Brain Online screening tool was set up by San, San Diego State University for Behavioral Teratology. And so what that means is they're, they're researching birth defects or abnormalities in psychological development to see how that is impacting individuals as they grow up. So either youth or adults can take this screener. A parent can take it for a child. That's totally fine. It takes about an hour to complete. So it is not like a quick little, you know, 10 question, you get an right. immediate result type of thing. This is really an in-depth look at some of those symptoms or behaviors that can be associated with FASD. So about an hour to complete, and then that gets sent to the researchers at San Diego State, and they will come back to you. So they're not only using this information, like you're participating in a research study by doing this, right? You're, you're right, kind of sending them like, these are, this is my information, these are my symptoms. But they will come back to you in a couple of weeks, it depends on the volume of responses they get, with a report that will assess your likelihood of an FASD. So that's not an official diagnosis, 
But that is a tool that you can use to help you. And actually, I just had a conversation with a parent this morning asking what to do because her doctor, you know, her child's doctor wouldn't even consider FASD. It was just ADHD, ADHD, everything's ADHD. Right, right. So I said, take the screener, see what they come back with. You know, if they say FASD is likely, then you have something tangible to hand to your healthcare provider and say, you know, I took the screener from San Diego State University and, you know, this is what their assessment showed. So it does take them a, a little bit to get back to you, but it is, it's free and that's reviewed by, you know, professionals in the field that are experienced in working with FASD. So we're really, really proud to be able to offer that online. And it's, it's a great opportunity for individuals that are curious and learning more about their own brain or, you know, if they could have had prenatal alcohol exposure, maybe didn't know there's some individuals that, you know, were adopted and don't know, you know, what their environment was like prior to being adopted. So a great tool free of charge available on our website. That's awesome. And so they're taking this data to learn more about this. They're studying this and I'd encourage everybody to participate if you think this is an issue, because the more data we have, the more we know what to do, we understand it better. So that that's really awesome that you guys are launching that. Yeah, we're really excited to be able to partner with them and uh, make that accessible, not only just to our Indiana residents, but anybody, anyone can take that. Right. So I have one more question to ask. So, you know, you have this knowledge now that alcohol is a is a serious issue how can you support this cause how can you bring this information to others what if you know somebody who's actually drinking while pregnant how, how do you handle that what what is what is some advice on going forward yeah so the number one thing i want to say is the the prevention aspect right so now that everyone listening knows there's no amount or type of alcohol that is safe to consume during pregnancy, you know, everybody can go tell everyone they know, and hopefully the, the word of mouth spreads the right news. For individuals that may have someone in their life that is pregnant and consuming alcohol, that's, that's going to be a hard conversation. I'm not going to lie, you know, but coming at it not in an accusatory way. There's a lot of stigma that occurs with um, pregnant people and not wanting to disclose that they're, you know, drinking or, or doing drugs, but encouraging that individual to talk to their healthcare provider and get the resources that they need to not consume those substances during pregnancy for the health of the child. As far as people that are out there and wondering, maybe I have FASD or maybe my child has FASD. There are affiliates for FASD in most states. So you can look up your state affiliate and connect with them and see if they can help you reach out to some more local resources. There's a national organization called FASD United. They have a family navigator, a paid staff person that you can contact and say, I live in Chicago and I need help finding resources and she will send you a list of, you know, what what exists in that area that could help meet your needs. So that's a great resource as well. If your state doesn't have a affiliate or if you just want to go there and, and get a more direct response from them. 
Awesome. Thank you so much. So we're, we're, we're at our time here. I usually like to ask every guest one final question. And if anybody's out there listening to this podcast and you could say one thing to them about this issue, what would you want to tell them? Um, I don't know if this is bad because it's probably the third time I've said it, but there is no amount or type of alcohol that is safe to consume during pregnancy and creating more awareness of that will help in the prevention of a lot of future problems, conditions, experiences with law enforcement or incarceration. And so if we are thinking upstream, the prevention of prenatal exposure to alcohol is the most important thing. Uh, Absolutely. Jackie, thank you so much for doing this for our, our communities and sharing this information. It's just so important. And like you said, it you know, with this information out there, it can prevent so much more hardship that doesn't need to be there. So thank you so much for coming on. Before you go, where can people find more information about this? Any links that you want to give so people can understand more or links to the uh, test, the screening tool? Yeah. So the screening tool is on our website. It's org. And we have a lot of resources links there. Also, we are on all of the social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, TikTok. I feel like I'm leaving one out. All of them were there. So you can look us up, Indian Alliance on Prenatal Substance Exposure. We are posting information and resources daily, not necessarily specific to Indiana, but new research that's coming out, tips for mental health or tips for Um, working with youth with an FASD because we do reach a lot of social workers and providers throughout the state as well. Awesome. And I will put all those links in the show notes at theaddictedmind.com. So if you're interested, go there, check them out, get all the information and support that research study at the University of San Diego. I think that's so, so cool. So Jackie, thank you so much for coming on to The Addicted Mind and, and sharing this important information. Thank you so much for having me. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Addicted Mind podcast. As usual, all the show notes will be at theaddictedmind.com. So check them out. And definitely, I would encourage you to take part in that study. The more data we have, the better able we are to help each other and help our community. So take the time to do that and check it out. Just go to theaddictedmind.com and all the links will be there. And if you think this episode is important, maybe share it with someone who may need this information. I think that's an awesome thing to do. And click the subscribe button. All right, everyone, have a wonderful day. And I will talk to you on the next episode.
I'm Madeline, and I'm the host of the Happiest Sober Podcast. I got sober in my 20s after a decade of gray area drinking, and the greatest plot twist of all time was realizing that alcohol, the thing that I thought made my life the most happy and fun and exciting, was actually the exact thing preventing me from living my happiest and best life. My mom is 40 years sober, and she joins me on my podcast very often. I like to call her my part-time co-host, and I also bring you solo episodes where I share my top tips, tricks, and mindset shifts in sobriety, and lots of how to's for navigating all the things sober from weddings to parties to holidays to bachelorette parties to trips. I'm also joined by so many guests who come on and share their sober stories and they're all so, so inspiring. I'm here to show you that life doesn't end when you quit drinking. In fact, it's very much the opposite. And no matter what your relationship was with alcohol, life can be the absolute happiest when you're sober. New episodes come out every Tuesday. You can listen to Happiest Sober Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.